when I initially started putting together the, the message for today, I, I had initially thought of the title, The Road Ahead, and I got to looking through the sermons. I, I save most of my sermons as I type them out, and I, I've got them, you know, I can always go back and pull them up. And I noticed that I had another sermon titled The Same that I preached almost a year ago. It was last January. And I looked at I thought, oh, I forgot I preached this on that title. I hope I'm not preaching the same sermon. So I, I pulled it up and looked at the notes, and somewhere along the way I had saved the file as The Road Ahead, but I had changed the title. Well, today I did the exact same thing. As I was preparing this, in my mind, I, I wanted to preach on the road ahead and how Psalm 23 looking ahead and throughout the year, and it just kind of changed as I went through there, and so I'm going to be preaching on the subject of led by the shepherd this morning. And for our text, and we'll be going through all six verses throughout the, the sermon this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 23, and, and I, I know it's familiar ground, and sometimes familiar ground is dangerous to preach upon because we're, it is so familiar. We tend to we, we tend to just gloss over it. We just start quoting it. But the words and the message of Psalm 23 are eternal, and I just want to, we're going to go through here and just kind of dissect it a little bit this morning. So Psalm 23, let's read the six verses here. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. My mind goes back, and sometimes it's even difficult to read it because I believe it was, am I, am I, I don't know, it was second grade in Sunday school. Wasn't it Miss Toten? Everybody that went through the second grade class there back in the day at Emmanuel Baptist Church when Miss Toten was teaching that, you learned Psalm 23 throughout that school year. And my mind goes back, and, and like I say, it's so familiar, we can quote it. But I want to take some time here and just go through and look at this. We know it was written by David. That's in part of the title that's been preserved for us, that this is a, a psalm that was written by David, who we talked a couple weeks ago, preaching once again from the psalms, that half the psalms are attributed to David. So this is not unusual in that sense. We don't know when this is written. Sometimes it'll tell us this was written during this event or when this happened. This one, we do not know when David wrote it. It's believed that it's likely that he wrote it during a time of distress. And we know there are a few times in David's life he was on the run from King Saul, who knew that David had been anointed the next king and chased him. And David narrowly escaped with his life numerous times. I kind of think it probably, though, is a later episode. I think maybe when Absalom had uh, usurped his father and as David was fleeing for his life, and we'll make some connections a little bit later that on that, but I think perhaps this was written as David was fleeing from Jerusalem and making his way across the Jordan River 
just him and his faithful few uh, servants and followers. I think maybe this was written during that time. But I imagine as David is on the run, just maybe I'm too artistic in thinking of this, but I, I just kind of imagine him on the run and as they're making their way in haste and looking over their shoulder to make sure they're not being pursued, that he looks up on the hillside and he sees a very familiar sight, for he too had been a shepherd boy on the hills outside of Bethlehem. And I, I just in my mind I see the king as he's running and he looks up and sees, separate from the care and the worry that he's in, but a shepherd watching over a flock of sheep on a hillside. In his own experience, he knew what that was like to care for those sheep. And I wonder if in that moment, in the time of distress, that he wished he was back to being that shepherd boy on the hillside and not worrying about fleeing for his life. But in this, like I say, just pure imagination here, but I, I imagine in that moment God changing David's perspective. He looked not at the shepherd and wished he was the shepherd, but I think he had a realization. I'm not the shepherd. I'm the sheep. God was the shepherd. And that moment is that glimpse of truth illustrated to him through past experience. I think those truths begin to overwhelm him and as only a poet may do, he set forth those glorious truths down in a poem or a song that so beautifully illustrates. It'd be one thing for me to tell you that God is good and that God cares for us, but how much more beautiful, how much more does it open our heart to know that He is my shepherd, that I shall not want. It's so familiar that often if I, if I use Psalm 23, and I, I, I love to use it in conjunction in funeral services, and in doing so, I, I like to try to give fresh perspective to it. One of my favorite things to do is to look at how personal the psalm is, and as you read it, to note how many times it says, I, me, my, these personal words. This is a very personal psalm. God cares for me personally, not just the human race and not just I'm not just an account number or a social security number to him, but he knows me. He knows how many hairs are on my head. He knows how many are falling out all the time. He knows me, my, my age, my address, my name, my desires, my fears. He knows me and he cares for me. I want to take a slightly different perspective on this psalm as we look at it this morning. I want to look at it as if we're in the midst of these actions. In fact, as you read through this psalm, we'll point out really the first five verses are very much in the present tense. David is saying, this is happening, this is happening, or this could happen, I, I'm in the middle of this. Only verse 6 really has a very far-flung future perspective to it. I want to look as if the Lord is leading and guiding and caring for us. And we are following him through the pastures of green and the valleys of shadow. And you know, that is truly life itself. It's good and bad, dark times and sunshine. And if I could connect this to the general theme 
for the year walking by faith. I'd say that as we walk by faith, there's a lot of this that's going to be real to us. We'll begin in verse number 1. And I want us to look at God's care for us as highlighted in the first three verses. The psalm sets the stage with the declaration, The Lord is my shepherd. What is the role of the shepherd? Well, he's the one that cares for the flock. He protects them. He doctors them. He cares for their needs to make sure that they're fed, that they're protected. We are in the Savior's care. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-caring. And therefore, because He is my shepherd, and He cares for me, He guides me, He protects me, because He is the one that does it, I shall not want. Like Gary kind of talked about up here, if you trust on the government to take care of you, you might end up wanting a little bit. You might end up falling short. That's what... Brother Griffin talked a little bit about here Wednesday night. He talked about these folks that have worked all this. I said a lot of homeless folks aren't the ones that are on drugs. They're people that have worked all their life. Social Security ain't enough. They try to rely on it, and it ain't enough to have a home and buy groceries. But here's the thing I know. Some people will let you down if you rely on them, but God will never let you down. And I think if we ever look at him and question him and his care for us, I think it's really a fault in us. It's a faulty perspective and pride on our, our part. You know, I was thinking about, and, and I talked to my wife and my dad and I think some other people about this from Wednesday night. Just those in need, truly, truly in need. And I said, you know, I can't, I can't relate on a level. I don't ever remember a time where I wondered where the next meal would come from. God was always so good to us. My mom, my dad worked hard to take care of us. Did we have everything we wanted? No. I think mom got tired of me. I usually would put a new Nintendo on the grocery list quite often. Uh, that She never came home with, from Walmart with that. But um, Did I have everything I wanted? But I'll tell you something, I did have everything I needed. And that's to their glory, but I'm going to tell you, it's also to the glory of God the Father that He cares for His own. So what actions does the Savior take in our care? We'll begin to see that in verse number 2. He puts us in a place where we can be nurtured and we can grow. He makes us to lie down in green pastures. A shepherd will seek the best pastures for his flock, the best grass. He doesn't go out and find an arid, dry, desolate area with no food. He doesn't take them out in the middle of New Mexico. No, he takes and he finds that green, lush pasture where there will be food. And note also, it says, lie down, that we can rest in his care. Our Savior said in Matthew chapter number 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, it says, therefore take no thought, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink and wherewithal shall we be clothed? For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. David would write in another psalm, once I was young, now I'm old. Yeah, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor seed begging bread. Next, we see it's a peaceful setting. It's not just a green pasture. You know, some green pastures aren't very safe. There's green pastures that have minefields underneath them. 
there's green pastures that somebody will shoot you if you go walking out over there. But this is a peaceful place. It's beside still waters. It amazes me, part of human nature, we love to be beside water. People love to be by the ocean. They love to sit on the ocean, just hear the waves rolling. Um, I've never been to Niagara Falls, but they say just going up there and hearing the rush and the roar of the of the water is, is there's something about it. it it's entrancing i've been to some big waterfalls cumberland falls in uh, kentucky is a very large one and it has that same effect you just you're entranced and there's a tranquility to that setting most people if you say hey draw out your ideal setting it's going to be a little small house out in the woods as long as it's got fast internet i'm all for that but it'll be out in the woods, away from everybody else. But one of that feature you often hear is there'll be a little creek running by. We just love to hear that sound of the still waters. You know, rapids and currents may alarm. They may scare sheep from the water they need. I'm, I'm told that sheep don't like moving or fast water. That they'd rather drink out of a, out of a mud puddle or a hoof print than drink fresh water that's moving or, or making a lot of noise or very rapid. It's a, it's a place of peace. And let me tell you something. In this world, there's only one source of peace, and that's Christ. John 14, 27, Christ said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And a couple chapters later, 16, uh, 33, he says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Where can we have peace? We can have it in Christ. In this world, it's craziness. It's dog-eat-dog. Dog. You know, one thing I strive for as a pastor and in church, I want church to be a place of peace, not a place of conflict and uproar but a place we can go in, take a deep breath, and feel like we're beside those still waters and in green pastures. So we see it's a place we can be nurtured. It's a place it's peaceful. And we see that it goes beyond our physical needs. It says, He restoreth my soul. And I remember back in school, it's amazing all the things you learn, and you can usually trace them all back to kindergarten or first grade. And I remember, I think it was in first grade, learning that every human being needs three basic things. They need food, clothing, and shelter. And I've seen variations of that, but that's pretty basic, pretty simple. As long as you've got food and water, and you've got clothing to protect you from the elements, and you've got a shelter to get into from the extremes of this world, you can make it. But you know human beings, though, need so much more. I, thought, I, th I think of, I don't know why I think about these things, but I think of, uh, of your dog. That poor dog, what does he get to eat? The same tasting little crunchy bits of things there. You would go crazy. Although, to be honest, sometimes I think when you're eating cereal, it's like the human equivalent of dog food. I'm just, I'm just, but nobody else thinks like that. But we need so much more than just physical needs. You know, human beings need love. We need encouragement. We need sympathy, friendship. Sometimes we need some correction. Sometimes we need motivation. And Christ's care goes deeper than the physical needs that we have. Don't focus on the physical. 
Because what Christ gives in the spiritual realm is so far greater. We may never be a millionaire. We may never have great things as far as wealth and the physical things of this world. But let me tell you something. You can have something far greater when you have peace within your soul. He goes deeper than the physical needs to refresh, to restore. Only He can bring salvation, giving life. And only He can revive our sagging spirit. Not only does it go deeper than the physical needs, we also see it's a place of direction. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. It's not just God making sure that we are alive. It's not just God making sure that we have a wholesome life. No, He has a path for us to walk. I like that it says He leads us. He doesn't drag us. He leads us. I remember, I don't remember if it was the youth festival or the youth fair or the dairy festival, but we have video evidence of this, I know, on a VHS tape. of Somehow, as I was showing a, a little Guernsey calf, Carrie already knows the story. I was the only person in that class, and here I go with that halter, yanking on that poor calf who decided it didn't want to be out there in that arena. And if you watch the VHS tape, you can see me pulling with all my might on that calf who probably weighs twice as much as I do, at least. And I'm, I'm pulling on that thing just as much as I can trying to get it into that arena. And it doesn't budge until Carrie reaches through my sister, not this Carrie, that Carrie, um, reaches through the, uh, the fence there and slaps it on the back. And then it took off, and it moved very fast. And you can hear me yell in that video, Carrie! It's a very humorous, humorous little you know, insight into our relationship, but into that time and that moment. But let me tell you something. God doesn't drag us along. No, in shady green pastures so rich and so sweet, God leads his dear children along. God shows us the way. And I'm going to tell you, there is, then comes the human responsibility. We need to follow in his ways. And then the last thing I want to point out here at the end of verse number three. Why does all this take place? Well, it's for his namesake. It's for his glory. It's not for our glory that God saves us and cares for us. No, he doesn't do that to bring us the glory. He does it so we reflect the glory back on him. It's not a... Whoa, how great am I? It's no, how great a sinner was I and how great is my Father's love and forgiveness. How great is the power of the blood of Calvary that washes my sins away. It is for God's glory that this takes place. We need to get the perspective right. We live in a very selfish society. Everything's me, 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 I, I, I. In reality, it's all about Him. The next thing I want to see as we hurry along here Verses 4 and 5, I want us to look at God's protection. We've seen His provision. I want to see His, His protection. We see in verse number 4, we see His protection through passing danger. It says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I thought of the words of the old song, Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. By the way, if you study out the valley of the shadow of death, what is that? Is that a physical place? It appears to be that, that that's a kind of a, a poetical term for the grave. It's even though I'm passing by death's door. You can go to Job chapter 10, verses 21 and 22 if you want some cross-references on that. 
You know, we could all share stories of close calls where danger or death seemed all but inevitable. And I think that's the feeling of this verse. David could look back and say, boy, I've had some close calls. I was hiding in caves when Saul shows up and is in the cave with me. David could look back and say, boy, he's protected me from a Goliath, from enemies within Israel, enemies without Israel. But I might remind you that the worst that can happen to a Christian is they get, they get to go to heaven. That's the worst thing that will happen. That's how glorious our future is. So, I mean, but, oh my goodness, they lost their life. Well, to a Christian, it's not a loss of life. It's a graduation to life eternal. So we see through passing danger. Next, I want to notice the next couple little phrases here to use. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Why does he have that confidence, that peace, that security? It's not because he's passing through the valley of the shadow of death. No, that, 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 that scene would scare and rattle us. But we have no fear because he's with us. His presence brings peace. You know, when Joshua was outside the walls of Jericho, trying to come up with a plan of how he was going to attack and take that city. Who was it that showed up? Joshua was ready to fight him. He knew, Joshua knew he was in enemy territory. Who was it? It was the captain of our Lord's host. I believe that was Christ. Who was it that joined the Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace? <laughs> the king looked down and said, It's one like unto the Son of God. I think it was the Son of God. Who was it that walked out to the disciples amid the stormy sea? Well, it was their friend, their Lord, Jesus Christ, who did so. We can have peace in the darkest of times because He is there. I thought back just the idea of presence bringing peace. My kids do not like storms. Uh, Billy's probably about the coolest about them. He's, I guess he's big enough, but Drew, storms make him nervous. And, of course, little kids, no little kid likes storms and thunder. And if we have a thunderstorm come through and it's time for them, you know, we're trying to put them in bed or they're not going to sleep yet and the crack of thunder sounds, do you know where those kids end up? They end up in our bedroom, usually in our bed, and I end up on the couch. Why? Is my room more fortified than their bedroom? No. It's really not. But you know what the difference is? Mommy and Daddy are there. Their presence brings peace. And in the darkest of times, when all hope seems lost, we don't know what to do, and we're scared, we have someone we can run to, and His presence can bring us peace. Then we see the comfort of His power. It says, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. These two words seem to point to the same device, that, that stick, the shepherd's crook that he would use. Different purposes to it. I mean, it was used for many different things. In fact, in the scripture and in, in just history, you can find probably at least three things. Um, in Leviticus 27, verse 32, it talks about uh, them taking a tithe of the sheep and every uh, the sheep passing under the rod. And they say they would have taken a rod and had the, the sheep pass through a, a gate and they would put uh, like um, some kind of like paint or something on that, on that rod, and every tenth one that went through, they would mark with that paint. That's how they would mark every tenth one. That's uh, the way the, the, the historians say that would have worked. 
It's also used for guiding. You can kind of nudge them along. You could also use that crook and you know pick them up and move them if you had to. It's also for the defense of the sheep. What happens if a wolf or something comes up? Well, you whack them with a stick. We can have comfort in knowing that God can deal with anything that comes our way. He knows we are His, just as that rod may have been used to mark every tenth sheep. God knows those are His own. He guides our waywardness. He can reach out and gently, or sometimes quite forcibly, if He deals with you like He does me, He might whack you inside the head and say, Hey, silly, get back on the right path. He protects us from harms beyond our comprehension. That's the role that he brings. We have comfort, not just that he is there, but comfort in who he is and what he can do. Next, in uh, verse number 5, we see his provision in perilous times. God doesn't just provide in the, the still waters and in the, 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 the green pastures. No. It says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. He says, We're going to throw a feast while we're surrounded. If David is writing this while on the run from Absalom, and I'm going to tell you this verse and then an episode that's recorded in 2 Samuel chapter number 17 makes me think this may have been when he wrote this. As David's writing this, really this is a... Shepherds don't prepare tables for their sheep, okay? Sheep just eat grass. You can feed them grain and things, but they eat grass, okay? David kind of goes away from using the idea of a shepherd to that of a host. And while David was on the run from Absalom, 2 Samuel 17 records this, he's fleeing for his life, and really the brave actions of some of his uh, friends, Hushai, who uh, gives some counsel that they delay chasing after him, allows him to escape, and a couple of swift messengers come and tell David, you need to get over Jordan quickly because they're coming after you. David crosses over Jordan, and Absalom gathers the forces of Israel and follows after him and is preparing to take and capture, probably kill his father and those loyal to him. And in that dark time, as enemies are gathering nearby, and, he's, and, and, and David and his followers are seeking refuge, there's a wonderful little detail given, 2 Samuel chapter 17, verses 27 through 29. It says, and it came to pass when David was come to Mahinam, that Shobi, the son of Nahash of Reba, and the children of Ammon, and, Nake, and Machir, the son of Amil of Lodibar, and Barzillai, the Gileadite of Rogalam, brought beds and basins and earthen vessels and wheat and barley and flour and parched corn and beans and lentils and parched pulse and honey and butter and sheep and cheeses of kind for David and for the people that were with him to eat. For they said, the people is hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. And there in that dark time as David was on the run for his life, these three individuals came and met the needs, not only of their king, but also of those that were following after him. God didn't just provide for David while he was sitting on a throne. No, even in the darkest of times, God provided for David. And let me tell you something, even in the darkest of times we may face, God is there, and God can provide for us. In Romans chapter 8 and verse number 32, it says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. 
how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So, well, that'd be awful hard for God to provide. You know what? God provided his own son. A little bit of food, a little bit of money, a little bit of protection, that's not much compared to the price that's already been paid. I had a had a teacher in Bible college love to illustrate that verse, and he said, imagine if the government came and came and said, said, we need your son. It's a secret mission. You're never going to see him again, but this is vital for the security of America. We need your son. And if you gave your son to the government to go and you never see him again, and imagine the next day the government coming back and knocking on the door and saying, well, sir, I know, I know you gave us your son, but we also need his shoes. Well, why wouldn't you just go ahead and give the shoes to you? You already gave him the son. But they came back and said, we need his socks. We need his shirt. We need the books on his shelf. All those things. Well, what are they? Those are nothing compared to having already given your son. When Christ gave himself for us, that sacrifice, what is anything else to God? Out of his great love, his only begotten son came and died for us. I think God wouldn't mind sharing us a little bit of blessings beyond that. Next we see thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. This is the bounty of God's provision. The word there anoint is actually interesting. I learned this as I was studying. Literally in Hebrew that means to make fat. I think that's interesting because if you're pouring oil on somebody's hair I was thinking about that I think about it, it just saturated, kind of like as a sponge, as it soaks up water, you know, how it expands. You're, you're, you're filled to saturation with the blessings of God. And the cup running over, I don't think that needs explanation. We know what that means. It's just, that's more than you can hold, more than you can handle. If you don't know what that looks like, you can go with my kids to QT when they go to the fountain drinks, and you'll see that in action. A cup running over. For sake of time, I, uh, we'll skip that. I had a poem I was going to read, but I want to get us out of here. I've already gone a little bit long here. Verse number six, this is where I really wanted to get to, is our perspective. There's a, there's a shift in the perspective and tone when you come to verse number six. And like I said before, the rest of the psalm, I think, is very much like in the present tense looking at what God is doing. It's either statement of fact, like the Lord is my shepherd, or he's saying, he maketh me, he restoreth. These are action terms in the present tense. But here, it builds on the truths of the previous five verses and ends at a crescendo. You know, I hope and pray that during this coming year, and we're still early enough in the year, I feel like we can say that, that we can testify during the year that God is leading us, He's restoring us, He's comforting us, He's blessing us through the good times and the bad. And I hope and pray that 12 months from now, we're kicking off the year 2021, that we can look back and see what God has done and say, He did. He did restore. He did lead. He did comfort. He did bless through the ups and downs. That's almost a perspective and change I see here in verse number 6. 
based on what God has done, what He is doing, and what He will do, there's an expectation that, first off, His care will continue. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. I read once a story, I think it was a book by R.A. Torrey on the Holy Spirit. He talked about a lady who wasn't 100% right in her mind, but she kept telling uh, people there was, there was a couple of men following her, and finally the preacher got tired of her. You know, she was always concerned about two men following her. He says, he says look, honey, let me, let me help you. And he took her to this verse and said, surely goodness and mercy. That's who that is. That's goodness and mercy following her. He said, those two men that followed her in her mind, they never bothered her again because that was just goodness and mercy following her. You know what strikes me about this verse is that David is not questioning if God will care for him, but that he's expecting it. By the way, that's the difference in faith. Faith steps beyond saying, I have a need. Will God provide it? Faith says, God is going to provide for this. I'm going to tell you something. We saw a little bit of that Wednesday night in action. A need was in place, and there were some prayers offered, and God met those needs. Note it does not say prosperity or peace around us or sunshine, but it's just God's goodness and His mercy. I thought of the old song, A tent or a cottage, why should I care? They're building a mansion for me over there. Though exiled from home, yet still I may sing all glory to God. I'm a child of the King. And then last off here, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, that we will abide with Him. There's three I statements in this first in, in this psalm. One is, I shall not want, and that's conditional. That's based on the fact that we are under the care of the great shepherd. It says, I will not fear, because our God is nearby. This, I will dwell in the house of the Lord. This isn't conditional like that. It isn't based on the previous statement. He's not saying, I will dwell in the house of the Lord, because surely goodness and mercy follow me. That's not what he's saying here. I think this is a decision and a choice that's built up to. We've ramped up to a crescendo here. And because God is so good to us, I will dwell in his presence forevermore. Some say here that David wished to stay to worship God in in the, the Lord's house, the tabernacle or the temple. Historically, there is no temple yet, though. Solomon hasn't built it yet. David had brought the ark to Jerusalem at this point, but um, it's very strange. It doesn't look like they had actually the tabernacle. It's a very strange period right there. Uh, the ark's there, but they may not necessarily been doing all the temple practices. It's a very strange deal if you go back and study it. I think what David is saying here is he wants to commune. He wants to have fellowship with God. And I think it's more important to commune with God than to be in a physical place. What's the greatest thing we can have from God? Oh, it's not material blessing. It's not health and wealth, prosperity. It's, it's this. That the great God of the universe who loved us wants to have a relationship with us, to be our friend. One of the greatest verses in all Scripture is there in the closing chapters of Revelation where it talks about at the end with a new heaven and a new earth and a holy city and new Jerusalem talks about God says talks about God dwelling among them and they will be his people God having a relationship with us let me close with this the musicians come very quickly 
I hope just taking some time. Familiar passage. I know we can all quote it. so familiar to us. I hope maybe a, a little fresh perspective on it opens up some new understanding. Now I've got three challenges here for you this morning. I challenge each of us to acknowledge the goodness of God in our daily walk. Like I say, much of the psalm is in the present tense, and God is, is doing this. David is saying, God is caring for me. God is, God is taking care of me. God is protecting me. God is providing. I wish we could live our daily life and say, wow, God is answering my prayer. Wow, God provided there. Next, I challenge each of us to see the goodness of God and commit to great fellowship with Him. If you think God is not good, you need to open your eyes and you need some fresh perspective. God is good beyond measure to each of us. And last of all, in the key of D, I challenge you to put Him to the test. Psalm 34, verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. You think this stuff, you say, oh, well, that's just poetic license. That's like, you know, somebody speaking a metaphor or something. You know, it's, it's an exaggeration. God really doesn't. Put it to the test. See what God can do. Pray a little more. See how he provides. Look around and see how good he is. Put that to the test. Now, I will tell you this. When you do, you're going to find that God is faithful. God is true. God loves us. And that God cares for us beyond our de- uh, on what we deserve and what we can even comprehend. Put them to the test. Taste and see that the Lord is good. If you'll stand, please, we'll have a short period of invitation. What number there, Brother Randy? 295 in the Heavenly Highway Blue Book. We'll pray and then we'll have a short invitation time. The altars be open. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. Lord, for me, your passage, I, we, we could quote it and in some ways absorb the truth in just 30 seconds, but Lord, we could dwell in eternity on the goodness, the love, the care, the protection, the provision, all the aspects of, of, are contained in these simple six little verses. Lord, I pray that we never take it for granted, your love for us, your care for us. And Lord, I, I pray that you'd help open our eyes to see what you do, how you care, how you provide, how you answer prayer, and that we can give you the glory as David did in this psalm for what you do, and that we would have our hearts yearn more to be closer and in greater fellowship with you. Speak now to our hearts, Lord, simple truths and a simple message from a familiar passage of Scripture, Lord. But Lord, I pray that they burn within our hearts. In Christ's holy name, amen.